Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. The Prime Minister marks one year since the announcement of the UK's first coronavirus lockdown by asking the country to shine a light on their doorsteps, rather than on his absolutely dogshit record in fighting the pandemic. Ian Duncan Smith is sanctioned by China for speaking out against its treatment of Uyghur Muslims, as it turns out that even he has a limit when it comes to the state's right to decide who is fit for work. Donald Trump is looking to launch his own social media platform. The former president is reportedly struggling with the branding, as Facebook AKK is a trademark already owned by a Japanese porn baron. And finally, Freddy the Tame Seal is put down after being mauled by a dog, in a fitting allegory for how modern Britain welcomes seafaring migrants. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to the grand finale of Season 3 of IC News. It's been another 12 weeks of multidimensional media mayhem, and we're here today to bid you farewell with some of the chunkiest lumps of journalism in the borscht of news. Does borscht even have lumps in it? And if it did, would that be a good thing? Who even knows? And why are you asking? It's dark in here. Hold me, mother. We start tonight with a look north of the border, and the news that Alex Salmond has announced his return to frontline politics with the launch of a new party. Remember that creepy video Kevin Spacey did one Christmas as Frank Underwood, telling us all not to judge lest we be judged? It's a bit like that, but with even less self-awareness and humility. Alba, presumably short for abusive lech bobs up again, aims to deliver a supermajority for independence in Scottish politics, and in typical Salmon style, it wants to do so by massively encroaching on Nicola Sturgeon's personal space. The fallout of the Salmon inquiry, and the political back and forth in Holyrood, has been churning up headlines all week. Here's our Scottish correspondent Monty Burns with more. Hi Sam, first of all I'd just like to thank you for remembering that I exist. In fact, I'd like to go even further and thank you for remembering that Scotland exists. It's been a good fucking while since this network has glanced north of the border, but this week all eyes have been on the SNP and the Salmond Inquiry. So I guess it makes sense that even your pompous English home county's little arse would deign to throw us a peep as well. I'd love to say this whole debacle has been gripping political theatre, but to be honest, I've been trying to follow it for months now and my fucking head's mince. It's been an ugly partisan affair and absolutely nobody has emerged from this storm of shite smelling of roses. 
Wild accusations have been thrown around like haymakers in a Royston chippy on a Friday night. Nicola Sturgeon has been accused of conspiring both with and against Alex Salmond like a sort of weird Schrodinger's feminist. At the end of it all, the best truth we can hope for looks about as reliable as her memory. Only two things are for certain. One, the women at the heart of the allegations against Salmond have been completely failed by Holyrood. And two, for now at least, the First Minister isn't going anywhere. The Tories were hoping to claim Nicola Sturgeon's scalp in the run-up to the May elections, but having been cleared of breaching the ministerial code, she's clinging on to that Elton John hairdo of hers for dear life. But that doesn't mean the SNP can walk away from this mess with their heads held high. The party has nearly torn itself apart over this story, and it clearly completely botched its investigation into Alex Salmon's alleged sexual misconduct back when he was First Minister. Although the Hamilton inquiry has now cleared Sturgeon of breaching the code, the wider Holyrood committee was split down partisan lines as to whether or not she deliberately misled them when giving evidence. That same committee leaked its findings before publication, with the Scottish Tories calling for Sturgeon's resignation before knowing what Hamilton had even concluded. That move was an obvious attempt at a hatchet job and the last week has been a swirling toilet of grubby political point scoring by all sides. The SNP claim that the committee's conduct and the accusation that Sturgeon was dishonest in the evidence she gave is proof of their baseless and politically motivated attack on her. In return, the First Minister's critics claim her story simply isn't credible and someone needs to be held accountable for the grotesque failures in the way complaints against Salmond were handled. For her part, Nicola Sturgeon has admitted she made mistakes, particularly when failing to remember exactly when she was informed about the accusations against Salmond. The Scottish Tories say that excuse just isn't good enough, with Ruth Davidson screwing her face up at First Minister's questions like she'd just discovered a jobby in the centre of her Werther's original. The SNP will hope to make the case to voters that Nicola Sturgeon has been cleared of any wrongdoing and lessons have been learned. The Scottish Tories will be hoping that the committee's findings will be a stain on her reputation that will bleed through into May's election results. For what Alex Salmon's word is worth, which at this point I suspect is somewhere between fuck all and Harvey Weinstein's, he himself has said he accepts Hamilton's findings and it's now time for Scotland to move on. Given that just last week, Salmond was adamant that his successor had obviously broken the ministerial code, that's a pretty drastic backpedal. His fight with the SNP is far from over, however, as he has now pledged to once again take the Scottish government to court, this time to sue for damages. And wouldn't that just be the cherry on the cake for the Me Too movement, 
that after nine women come forward to accuse a powerful man of sexual harassment and misconduct, all they get out of it is several years' worth of torturous mudslinging, only to see the odious cunt profit out of it at the end of it all. Honestly, the whole thing's a fucking mess. And despite having about as much love for the Tories as Sturgeon and Salmond now have for each other, a wee part of me kind of wanted Hamilton to find Sturgeon guilty. It would have been amazing watching Tories in Westminster scream for her resignation when about six of them have broken the code themselves in the last year. The SNP would have lifted their kilts and bared their arses to the whole hypocritical fucking lot of them. And that might have made this whole tedious affair genuinely interesting. I'm Monty Burns, reporting for IC News. Whether or not a resurgent Alex Salmond will have a genuine impact on the May elections remains to be seen, but one thing is for certain, which is that Westminster is distinctly nervous about the prospect of the SNP sweeping enough seats to justify a new independence referendum. The government has been scrambling for a way to make the case for the union this week, and part of that desperation is evident in the way union jacks are now as visible as possible in the frame of every ministerial Skype call. The BBC once again got itself scorched by the fires of the culture war last week when Naga Manchetti and Charlie State appeared to giggle at the size of Robert Jenrick's erection. Tom King has the key to the dimensional gate this week and he's been travelling the multiverse in search of a world that takes Britain's love of flags to its most illogical extreme. Flags. They're just sheets of fabric, but they contain a surprising amount of power. Nothing gets Brits more riled up than a good flag debate. This week's is an absolute corker, all sparked by the Union Jack that Robert Jenrick apparently flies in his weird little shrine to the Queen. White sofas, white walls and a black and white photo of Her Majesty dominating a single wall. That's Jenrick's style. Honestly, all it was missing was a few candles, some silver cushions and a live-laugh-love motif and his flat could have been the home decor aisle in any B&M. The limp floor-to-ceiling Union Jack really brought the whole thing together and then the BBC had the nerve to snigger at it because they hate this country and they hate the idea of anyone having pride in our flag and our institutions. The joke of course, is not the one that the Tories claim it is. The impulsive sniggers aren't at Britain, or its heroes, or its history. Anyone with an ounce of common sense watching these embarrassingly staged Covid-era interviews knows that the laughter is not at the expense of the flag itself. It's at the pathetic and hollow posturing of the dick in front of the camera. Now, I'm perfectly willing to believe that Robert Jenrick adores this nation and goes to bed at night dreaming of jam and Jerusalem. What I don't buy for a fucking second is that he'd ever fly a Union Jack in the background of a Skype call for any reason other than a shameless attempt to bolster his own fake patriot credentials. It's cringeworthy bullshit, and cringeworthy bullshit is always going to get sniggered at. There's no wind indoors, Robert. Flags don't even look good without it. They just hang flaccid in the corner like a disappointing Tinder date you can't get rid of. No, we can't try again in ten minutes. The moment's passed. Now get your coat and fuck off. 
The Skype calls might be staged, but the outrage is very real, and flag frenzy is now once again sweeping the nation. This week, Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden did two things. One, he answered the question, what would the bloke from the Queen to the Stone Age look like if he got trapped in a teleport pod with Chris Tarrant? And two, he announced that all government buildings would be expected to fly the Union Jack at all times from now on. Apart from in Northern Ireland, obviously, because even he's not that big a fucking idiot. Now, you might think that flags are a weird priority for the government in the week that we marked a full year since the start of the UK's first lockdown. Obsessing over Union Jacks might even feel a little distasteful just a couple of days after we came together as a nation to remember the thousands of treasured loved ones we've lost over the last 12 months. But that's because you've never come here to Earth Delta Jingoism Windsor 1966. Here, flags aren't just a symbol of great British patriotism. They're the nation's panacea, a cure-all for every ill, and they've been front and centre of this Britain's pandemic response. I'm here at the Royal British Winston Churchill, Great British Queen Elizabeth II, United Britain of Great Kingdom British Memorial Hospital, and I'm speaking with Dr Clement Jubilee, who's been treating COVID-19 patients a little differently to the way we do it back on Earth Prime. <laughs> well, that's right, my good man. Here, we start treatment with a Union Jack compression bandage, followed by IV blitz spirits and Botox injections right in the upper lip. There's nothing we can't fight with great British vim and vigour and the right amount of patriotism. And that's been effective, has it? <laughs> you tell me, my boy. Is seven million dead effective? Good God, no! That doesn't sound very patriotic to me, you know. I'm going to prescribe you four episodes of Bake Off and three Princess Diana Memorial teapots. Doctor, I'm not sure all of this stuff is covering up the mishandling of the pandemic as well as you think it is. That's pretty bloody rich coming from Earth Prime. Dr Jubilee to accident in emergency, please. We have a code red, white and blue. Oh dear, that sounds serious. No, don't worry too much, Tom. Everything's a code red, white and blue here. It could be anything from a bus crash to an ingrown toenail. Good luck, Doctor. We don't need luck here, boy. We need the soporific effect of national pride. Uh, You there, nurse, follow me. I need six metres of bunting and two of Jerry Halliwell's Union Jack dresses. Stat! Ah, there he goes, another NHS hero. I wonder if he's getting a 1% pay rise. Now, I'm Tom King, and my flag's bigger than your flag, reporting for IC News. If you work in the Home Office and you can't get the people to love Britain and the flag as much as you do, there are always other things you can do to bring about the dystopian hellscape that has you climaxing in your hateful and fevered sleep. Just one of those things is to crack down on people's ability to organise and complain publicly about all the terrible things you think and do. In Bristol last weekend, a demonstration against proposed anti-protest legislation in the Police, Crime, Sentencing and Courts Bill turned violent, with police officers suffering major injuries that then turned out to be nowhere near as serious as first thought. 
Claims of punctured lungs and broken bones stole Monday's headlines and were then quietly walked back later in the week by the Bristol police. The debate about just what should be acceptable during a political protest is a divisive one, and no household has been more divided on the issue this week than that of everyday average woman with a heart of gold, Jade Fernley. Everybody, I'm Jade Fernley, proud Yorkshire lass, hard-working mother of two, and heartbroken sufferer of the most grotesque betrayals. I've poured my life, my very heart and soul, into raising my kids properly only to have my nurturing hand bitten by the ungrateful teeth of a Marxist traitor. Isn't that right, you little bollocks? Oh, for God's sake, Mum. Don't you think you've been a little dramatic? Shut it, you Antifa scumbag. You'll speak when you're spoken to. But you did just speak to me. In fact, you asked me a direct question. Do you hear this, everyone? This arrogant grandstanding, this brainwashed petulant sense of entitlement. The modern left in all its unwashed righteousness here under my roof. The whole time. Oh, the ignominy. I'll not be able to show my face at Zumba after this. Not even the online classes. I can just picture that fucking Jessica's face now scrunched up with disgust above all that chest-hugging spandex. Oh, I'm ruined. Ruined, I tell you. You've destroyed me, Darren. Plunged a knife into my back and then twisted it. It was one Facebook comment, Mum. I didn't even go to protest. It confesses, live on air and to my face no less, that my child, the babe in my arms... Now speaking with the forked tongue of a red viper. The shame. The hot, burning shame. Communist. Anarchist. Terrorist. But I didn't do anything. Oh, he didn't do anything. He didn't fucking do anything. Did you see the pictures on the news, Darren? Did you look? Burning police vans, cops in hospital, war on the streets, and you say you didn't do anything. Fine, I'll tell you what you did. You looked your poor mother in the face and you spat in her eye. My own son, my own flesh and blood, coddling criminals and monsters, speaking out against longer sentences for child killers and knife-carrying gangsters. My own son! We finally have a government with a firm grasp on law and order and you side with the brick-throwing vegans. I don't even know who you are anymore. When did they get to you, Darren? When did they start filling your head with this... this poison? Christ, Mum. For once, do you think you could approach a political argument with just a little nuance? Nuance? Oh, it has the brass fucking neck to lecture me on nuance. Where's the nuance in broken bones and burnt vans, Darren? Where's the polite discussion with the tolerant left on that one, eh? Why is my dear sweet boy now advocating for violent revolution? I didn't advocate for anything of the sort. 
Why do you hate your heritage, Darren? I bet you want to see Churchill's statue torn down. I bet you want to see it burnt and shit on. Shit on by dope-smoking militant hippies. Why do you hate the Union, Jack? Hmm? Why do you hate Britain? Don't you think you've been a little hyperbolic? Hyperbolic? (laughs) Me! Hyperbolic! Standing up for my country and culture in the face of violent revolution and he accuses me of being hyperbolic. My misguided boy, I'll ask you again. Why do you hate Britain? I don't hate Britain. Then how, my boy, can you support anarchists and terrorists that hate this country? Jesus Christ, Mum. Opposing Orwellian legislation that cracks down on the right to protest isn't hating this country. I thought you supported free expression. Don't you twist my words on me. You know full well that violence is not free expression. I know that. I also know that more than one thing can be true at once. Here it comes, the twister logic, the endless ways the left seek to justify itself. Go on then, explain to me in my simple, ignorant ways, explain to me how last weekend's violence was justified. It wasn't. Sorry, what? It wasn't, Mum. And it won't help one fucking bit. In fact, it'll actively boost the government's chances of getting its shitty new laws passed. But more than one thing can be true at once. The violence wasn't justified. But that doesn't mean the new protest laws aren't dangerous and draconian. Both of those things can be true. Uh, I don't understand. It's like Churchill, Mum. He was a great wartime hero that saved the world from one of the most horrific evils history has ever seen. There he is. My boy. My sweet, proud boy. And he was also a horrific bigot who believed in racial hierarchies, a worldview that may have contributed to his failure to prevent famine and millions of deaths in India. You shit-spouting little Torag, you fucking take that back this instant. I thought Churchill would be pushing it. Get out! Get out of this fucking house now, you're dead to me. You hear? You're dead to me. I'm going. Jesus, Mum, calm down. Don't you fucking tell me to calm down, you Trotskyist little scrot! Get out! Get out! <sighs> oh, my boy. Where did I go wrong? Writing such, such misguided rubbish online. Maybe the best way to stop anti-fascists turning violent is to stop being fascist. Can you believe it? What a simplistic crock of shit. I'm Jade Fernley, and I'm rewriting my fucking will. Reporting for IC News. That charming snapshot of modern British domestic bliss brings us not only to the end of this episode, but to the end of Season 3. For the next two weeks, we'll be releasing compilation episodes of the season's best bits, before returning properly with the start of Season 4 on the 17th of April. Until then, we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. The boss of Liberty Steel asks the government for a £170 million bailout. 
which the company should get, provided it also promises and then fails to deliver a few plastic aprons. A massive container ship blocks the Suez Canal by getting lodged in it sideways, holding up billions of pounds of global trade. But don't worry, as none of it can get to the UK through Europe now anyway. Figures reveal that the Home Office has spent £77,000 at an eyebrow threading salon, presumably in an attempt to stop Pretty Patel looking constantly surprised that she's still in a job. And finally, a scientist warns that plastic pollution is shrinking human penises, which is ironic because a cable tie around the base of it when you're half erect is actually quite a good way to make it look more impressive on Grinder. <clears throat> You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye. me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with the right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind odd bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger meat and if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.